Well, hello, fellow rebels and our BC correspondent, British Columbia, Drea Humphrey. I'm Tamara Ugolini, and I'm co-hosting with said Drea today, Friday, February 2nd. Um, I guess happy Groundhog Day. I don't even know if he saw a shadow. I should have I should have checked that out. Do we have an early spring? It feels like in Ontario, at least where I am, um, that spring it's it's just perpetually spring uh we have a we've had a few cold snaps but there hasn't really been much snow and i suppose this is uh what the the climate alarmist would tell us is climate action we're, we're living it climate alarmism and and global warming um drea before we get into things how are you doing over there Good. Yeah, I see a lot of people online giving thanks to climate change. Uh, it's been pretty warm out here. More recently, we have a little snow spell, which means nobody in Vancouver could drive for a few days. But other than that, it's just rain and then good weather. Um, so good. And I just want to say, I'm super excited you and I are together. Sheila's awesome. But the stars aligned for you and I, the uh, stop classroom grooming queens to talk about what we're going to talk about in today's show. So yeah, you know, I didn't even I didn't even realize that um, that would yeah the the stars did align in that way. Um, Sheila's traveling, attending uh, to some busy things. David is off today, taking a much needed day of rest. Um, he just goes goes goes. So you're stuck with Drea and I. And for those of you who are just joining us today, uh, Fridays are are kind of our check in day to host a live stream, talk about the newsiest news pieces of the week. We used to do this every day, but we found that our mission specialist, David Menzies, was really getting bogged down, um, being tied to in-studio work when he really does the best work out in the field, shoe leather journalism, out, out hitting the streets, you know, asking politicians accountability questions. And um, there was a couple instances where the live stream commitment actually took him away from being able to do that work. So we consolidated these live stream efforts. We're only streaming once a week now, unless there's, you know, an emergency broadcast, which... Um, Ezra did one earlier in the week, so that's kind of a play-it-by-ear basis. But otherwise, we join you every Friday. We're streaming on a couple different platforms, YouTube, the, the Censorious One. Um, I hope we can keep things tame enough to stay on YouTube because I think that uh, not affirming gender and pronouns is one of their like, like hate stipulations somehow. Oh, um, so we'll have to be careful when we talk about some of this gender stuff on YouTube, or we'll just get off of YouTube altogether, in which case you can head over to Odyssey, Getter, um, or Rumble and join us there. And on Rumble, which I, I prefer that platform over YouTube these days because a lot of the reports I do are deemed dangerous misinformation by the censorious thugs at YouTube. Um, but in, at Rum, on Rumble, you can send us a Rumble rant. And so through a small monetary donation, you have your a chance to get your comment or feedback or question posed to us here live on air. We will read it and answer it, provide commentary on it. Um, so please head over to Rumble, watch us there if you can. And then, of course, uh, if you want to kind of help us keep our journalism afloat, keep the lights on, you know, have have decent enough gear to be able to do the work that we do and have good quality production, uh, then any little bit that you contribute there really does help us stay afloat. I see actually we already have one. So before we get into the show and the topics of today, we'll just read that quickly. And Mark gives $5. Thank you very much. Um, and says, I think David is my new favorite reporter at Rebel News. <laughs> Sorry, Sheila. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> likewise, sorry to myself, Andrea, apparently. But thanks, <laughs> yeah. David is really a national treasure, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, who doesn't love David? He's just, no matter like how dark and dreary the, da- the times seem, he always can swoop in with some of his much needed comedic relief during these dark times. Um, well, and, anyway. And the hat. The hat, just the whole image, he's the whole package. If he was reporting for the left, he would have received so many awards for journalism. So you're right, he's a national treasure. So no no offense taken, although Tamara and I weren't even mentioned on your apologies, but that's okay. <laughs> well, the thing that I love about the Rebel team is that we're all so different, you know, yeah. and, and we all bring our own unique perspective, our own unique angles to the reports, to the field, and just to the platform platform as a whole, obviously. And so um, what people might love in David, that they might love also in somebody else or love somebody else for something totally different. So but David is he really does deliver that comedic relief that we so need in some of these absurd times that we are living in. Uh, Okay, so without further ado, let's get into some housekeeping stuff. So first, we have to tell you that we are doing a raid screening. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, I've closed all of my windows, so I need to source back and open them. But it's coming up February 13th and 14th. It's raid move, movie. You head on over to that website. Maybe we can just pull it up here to share with you what that looks like. So that's our Montreal documentary where um, we were there on the ground to cover the crazy authoritarian um restrictions that were put in place at that time by the Quebec government in Montreal. And um, they raided our Airbnb. I wasn't present at the time, um, but some of the rebels who were part of that will be there at these screenings. So there's one in Edmonton coming up on February the 12th. And if you head over to raid.movie, you can see there, there's a link to buy tickets. And then also uh, we'll be in Calgary at Canyon Meadows Cinema. February 13th, the next day. So Mm -hmm. why not kick off your Valentine's Day celebrations with a little bit of a rebel news documentary? Uh, There's you can watch the trailer there. And maybe when we throw to an ad break during the live stream here, we'll just show uh, some of the trailers and the teasers that we put together about the documentary. Um, Yeah, complete overreach by the Montreal police. Uh, the Quebec lockdowns, especially, most notably, the curfew, right? Because the curfew was supposed to somehow keep us safe from COVID. And so we went to Mm -hmm. report on some of the heavy-handed overreach that was being put forward onto the citizens of Montreal and Quebec more broadly. Um, The police cracked down on independent press. And so we have yeah. a whole documentary about that. It's it's really exciting. It's a bit of a thriller. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that'll be a lot of fun. And I would say, urge everybody to head over there and get your tickets. There was something else, Drea. Am, am I missing? I had some notes. I think that was... Think we, um, just, we just have some awesome merch in there, especially uh, with the big win we had with the way that the convoy was taken down, being deemed illegal, the Emergencies Act. We've got some nice... Uh, trucker gear in there at our beautiful store rebelnewsstore.com it's such an easy way to support rebel news if you're a fan if you watch our stuff ev- it's available for free to everyone 
but it functions on the small amount of people who actually support us financially. So check out our store, rebelnewsstore.com. There's some of the Hong Kong merchandise. I'm wearing a hold the line <laughs> shirt as well. So it's it's just such a fun time to gloat, you know, walk around and wear it. It's like, we told you so, right? So. Um, and for anyone, love- any Americans watching too, we have the new uh, Don't Mess With Texas shirts coming, ah. have just been released because we have Alexa Lavoie and Lincoln Jay on the ground right now. Um, you can visit our special website, texasborderreports.com. So they're reporting on the border crisis happening in mm-hmm. Texas with the illegal immigrants just flooding in. Um, so yeah, there's some fun new swag there for all of the United States viewers that we have. And of course, Canadians too, if you Yeah, I was uh, going to say, I'd support. totally wear that. I would totally wear exactly. that shirt. Yeah. Okay, let's get into some of the news. So uh, first and foremost, uh, we have Danielle Smith, Premier of Alberta, who's just recently on January 31st, I believe it was, put out a, approximately a seven-minute video where she announced a new gender and transsexual policy uh, that was happening in the province. We won't play the entire clip because, like I said, it's about seven minutes. Um, but I thought it was, you know, it seemed very motherly. It was a very loving... Mm-hmm. Um, authentic video that that expressed just care and appreci- appreciation for the youth who are struggling with the complexities right. of their identity. And um, in there, Smith, you know, she repeatedly acknowledges the biological differences between men and females, especially males and females, especially as it comes to sports. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, males are obviously biologically stronger. There's biological realities involved in that. But she also put forward stipulations on things like gender reassignment surgery and hormone replacement therapy. So no top and bottom surgery for anyone under the age of 17 and under age mm-hmm. 15, no pretty blockers, no hormone therapy. Minors 17, 16 and 17 need parental consent for hormones and they must have a psych, uh, psych approval to do that. Um, yep. She's also looking to hire an expert in transgender mm-hmm. surgery so that adults have access to a surgical expert and they do not need to be referred out to Quebec, something I didn't realize that anybody in the province who as an adult would like to seek gender reassignment surgery can't actually access that in Alberta. They have to go to Quebec. And so uh, for some reason, the left is, you know, they're in complete meltdown over this saying, oh, this is an attack (laughs) PQIAS 2SL, whatever it is, um, community. And yet here she is looking to hire an expert in that field to provide anybody who's a consensual adult with yeah. that expertise in that province. So you can see so there she's that that's done not more. She, yeah, yeah, she's done more for the community, but of course they're losing their minds. And a big yeah. part of her policy was about the teachings of gender ideology, sexual orientation, and basically all human sexuality in the school system. So um, for for any of these lessons to happen in class, there has to be explicit parental notification and consensual opt-in requirement mm-hmm. for any classroom instruction on gender yeah. identity, sexual orientation, and human sexuality, and all third-party materials need to be vetted first by the Ministry of Education before they're approved for appropriateness. That's huge. I thought, wow, that is really, really great. And we'll get to a clip about that specifically in just a minute because I'm almost done. Um, 
anybody 15 and under must get parental consent to change their name or their pronoun in the school system. And then mm. 16 and 17 year olds do not need consent, but their parents do need to be notified if they start yes. that social transition at school. Um, she's, she's instituting a counseling project specifically to help people navigating again, the complexities around gender and identity, um, and will be developing and, and specifying women's only sports organizations and perhaps if needed, expanding the co-ed or gender neutral division. So I think this is, this is great. I think it's a, a really a happy medium if the left would actually mm -hmm. pay attention to what she said instead of just mm -hmm. having a complete meltdown and taking this as some sort of hateful attack. Um, right. I think this is a really balanced approach um, to recognize that there are people who are struggling with the complexities of identity while still protecting children who are not able to make these decisions by themselves and may be coerced or, or funneled into doing so without their parents' knowledge or consent, which we see happening, um, mm. and, and protecting women in sports and, and also people who identify as, as transgender because there's obviously a lot of division that's happening as a result of these complexities. I don't, Drea, what's your takeaway? Because I think it's a great and balanced approach. It's well thought out, it's balanced, and she has so much common sense coupled with love, like you mentioned throughout it. And she makes it very clear that most parents, almost all of them are acting in the best interests of their kids. They love their kids. I'd say they love their kids more than anyone else. And that's what she and the province knows. But in the small cases, the few cases, if a parent does happen to become abusive to a transgender child, then child protection laws will be strictly enforced. And that's another thing. The left is losing their mind here. And we're going to show a little bit of clips of that. Actually, we can throw to one and talk about it a little bit more. This is my favorite response because, of course, there was a whole uh, slew of questions from reporters after she did a press release the following day after she had released that video. This was my favorite response. Again, just so much common sense. Let's play it. I mean, I can already hear the school officials just dreading the paperwork required to opt every single student into every single lesson that touches on sex education, gender identity, and sexual orientation. I mean, some people might predict that teachers would now avoid those lessons to get around that extra work when they're already so busy. So can you explain why making it harder for children to learn about sexual health is a benefit? Hmm. Well, I, I guess if, if, uh, if teachers are indeed talking to kids about sex every single day, every day of the school year, then I guess that this policy has demonstrated why we need to put it in place. But if, as I suspect, uh, there is structured education on structured days, then I don't think it's a hardship for schools to say, this is the day that we're going to be discussing issues of sexuality, sexual orientation, and gender identity. I, it shouldn't be onerous. It actually should be fairly straightforward to be keeping parents in the loop on these issues. Bingo. <laughs> like, I love how she responds. But that is an issue that you and I and many of us at Rebel News have reported on is that there needs to be some standard. Parents need to be in the loop. We're expecting them to learn science, not to be confused that they perhaps are born in the wrong body. I've covered examples of teacher in retaliation and for political motives are intentionally showing drag queen story times to a kindergarten class without telling parents. So now uh, it's like she said, unless they're 
talking about this all the time, it shouldn't be a problem. And for the ones that are talking about all, at all the problems, well, they're the ones that need to, you know, be in line. And I love that she did that policy. One of the things I'm seeing that uh, I don't even want to say it's the left losing their mind, because when it comes to this issue, I know so many people who have been, you know, even I would say far left on many of the previous issues we've discussed at Rebel News, but they are on board with what she's talking about here. So many of the people losing their mind um, over this are are saying it's against the science. Where have we heard that before? And it's not against the science. Finland, Sweden, the UK, the reason why all of these places are making these changes is because the science that was relied upon for this. Oh, am I not allowed to talk about this, Tamarin? For this type of care uh, has been proven to be flawed. And it has. It The main problem with the two Dutch studies that are dependent on by WPATH, which sets the regulations basically for how, what people should do in care for transitioning, it looked at children who were gender dysphoric from a very young age. They struggled this with this from a very young age. They were healthy mentally. They had a strong family support, strong system. So they had been going through this in years and they had psychotherapy the whole time. So that is the baseline. But flash forward from 2014 when those studies were published, flash forward to now, that is a completely different baseline than who, which kids are seeking these types of treatments and care now. These are kids who are sometimes all of a sudden deciding that they are born in the wrong body. And a lot of them, as we've known, as has been proven, as is science, are struggling with mental health issues. So mm -hmm. it, it's not even the same playing field that's happening here. So that's just one of the things I'm noticing. Yeah, we can't ignore the comorbidities that exist clinically with with those who struggle with things like gender dysphoria. And the fact that we're teaching children that they could be born in the wrong bodies and they aren't perfect just the way they are, whether they're, you know, a little bit strange or they're not fitting in with your shoebox definition of a girl or a boy or a boy uh, mm -hmm. wants to paint his nails because his sisters have their nails painted. That right. this just teaching children to love themselves and that we yeah. love them for who they are, whoever they're going to be, because they don't even know who they are. This is, it's just absurd to me to think, to think that children and teenagers know anything about who they actually are as people, because their brain is literally still developing. And mm -hmm. um, so that's what I kind of go back to is just the neurological development and the, um, the complexities of identity that anyone struggles with while they're growing up and reaching mm -hmm. maturity. Um, and now to know how radical these ideologies can proliferate in a, something like a school system, again, unbeknownst to parents, um, mm -hmm. is, is really concerning as a parent. Um, I don't know. I have a, a little bit of an idea what it's like in British Columbia, but here in Ontario, uh, that question is very relevant because our Ontario curriculum actually stipulates things like SOGI be ingrained into almost every segment yeah. of the curriculum. So yes, when that reporter asks, you know, oh, now everybody's going to have to vet everything they say and all their third party materials, that would be a reality here in Ontario because SOGI, sexual <laughs> orientation and gender identity is ingrained into the entire curriculum. It's no longer just health and right. safety. It's in math. It's in science. It is in everything. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, fluid. you can see it. It's fluid. Yeah. And that's intentional. It's, it's intentionally yeah. done that way. And I was just looking up um, Alberta's interprovincial immigration 
reports, and there's an article here from the Calgary Herald. We don't need to pull it up, but it says the Alberta experienced the fastest year-over-year demographic growth of all provinces and, ter- and territories at just over yeah. 4% last year. And that's interprovincial growth. Um, for policies just like this, common sense, rational, balanced pol- policies that parents want as the left goes into complete meltdown over something like this, the proof is in the pudding that people want it. They're literally flocking to Alberta because of stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So um, as the province continues to be successful, grows their their demographic with hardworking, dedicated citizens, um, mm-hmm. I think, again, the proof will be in the pudding. And and meanwhile, we have, I think she's former NDP leader now, Rachel Notley. She's since resigned. Yeah. Um, but we have a clip here of her where she calls this an extremist politics. Sorry, you, she accuses Smith of using extremist politics mm. um, and calls this pandering to the most extreme elements of her party, which apparently is the vast majority of Canadians who agree that parents should be told things like if their kid wants to socially transition at school. Yeah, so extreme. If their child has a completely different identity, I, I, I'm very troubled uh, by by what they're talking about. You know, there there are complex issues in there, but they have reached in to an area that is uh, broad and complicated around ensuring that 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 a whole range of of uh, medical interventions are managed in a way on a sport by sport basis that ensures competitive um, uh, you know, competitiveness. They've reached in and pulled out one example and lifted it up. Uh, as the dog whistle that this is really meant to be and and so it's very inconsistent and let you know I and and the starting point for me is that a trans woman is a woman and a trans man is a man and uh and and this is uh an issue that uh Danielle Smith is uh pursuing uh because of extremist politics, not because there's a massive uh, call for it amongst Albertans right now. I can tell you that. I, I really believe that that this push is uh, the, the approach to the sports issue is, as I said, it's it's not even broad based and thoughtful. It is very targeted and and irrational in its targeting. It doesn't even make sense. Um, so what it is, is it's about pandering to the most extremist element of uh, what remains of the Conservative Party in Alberta. That's what that's about. <laughs> what remains of the Conservative Party? Uh, they're a sweeping majority government. Um, broad and complicated. I think this is actually a very well thought out, as I've mentioned, succinct, put together policy. Um, this is not inconsistent at all. It's very, very specific. It's very well laid out. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems to me like Notley is the one who's troubled and confused because it's very clear to me. And and Smith, again, this is a seven minute video announcement. It's very well done, very clearly laid out. Well, it's reckless not to have a reasonable policy. We're talking about children here. We're talking about changes that are irreversible. We're talking about changes that are being made before children, as we mentioned before, understand who they are. But even understand what sexual experiences they might have in the future and what they need to do that. They don't understand that they might not get their voice back when they go on these treatments. And certainly, how are they able to really comprehend and understand some of the side effects, whether it be the heart issues that come 
are that are associated with cross-sex hormones or whether it be um, sterility, things like that. So it is completely reckless and unloving. That's one of the posts that I've said in response to a city councillor out in Alberta who's losing uh, their mind. I think they're probably going by they. Um, you know, it's that this is the loving, the trans community. And that's what I hate about this message that's pushing back about against this. It's that they keep telling trans kids that people don't love them, that people that hate them, that these policies are in place to hate them when it's the complete opposite. We care mm -hmm. about you so much that we want to make sure when you make this decision, it's the right decision for you and the rest of your life. It's not mm -hmm. rocket science. Um, and it's so backwards to come against it, really. Yeah, and it, it all comes back to informed consent, right? And, and and the more often I hear about some of these stories, and especially the detransitioning de stories, is that these children were not given true informed consent. They were never told the repercussions of these therapies, whether that be hormone replacement, puberty blockers, and then of course later on, um, if they go so far, these these top and bomb surgeries and gender reassignment surgeries and so they were they never knew as they became mature adults with their frontal lobe fully developed um, that these this was the potential fallout of those decisions and they are not reversible as they were led to believe so it's really sad. And I think, and I think this is obviously a way to actually protect youth from potentially lifelong damaging effects of doing things like this. Um, but our new novel therapies, I mean, we're, we're living the experiment. Uh, we are mm -hmm. starting to see the fallout of it, but this is all new and um, exploratory. So I suppose mm -hmm. stay tuned in the next five to 10 years, because I imagine there's only <sighs> going to be more detransitioning stories, the heartbreaking detransitioning stories to hear from. Um, meanwhile, oh, Sorry, Drea. Well, I was just going to say the UK is almost a little bit ahead of us with this. So we saw out of their number one gender uh, clinic that got shot down, the Travistock Clinic, that uh, close to a thousand families started suing them. And there's ongoing lawsuits with that. And that's part of why they shut down. So you're right. It's sad. This is experimental and we're going to have to wait and see. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Tavistock is a great, uh, great example in the UK um, of the the legalities around some of the fallout of these these decisions, and I would call them misleadings of uh, children and their families. Um, we have a, do have another clip, but I just want to touch on some of these super chats that we have because they're relevant here. Uh, Demom gives us five dollars. Thank you very much. Yeah, Danielle Smith, but what about critical race theory? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is the first step to restoring mm -hmm. balance and common sense into school uh, policies and certainly critical race theory, I would think is kind of next on the radar. Mm -hmm. I feel like this one is more, it's more obvious. It's more obvious that there needs to be some guidelines in place to keep the kids safe, again, in sort of an irreversible thing that they could, uh, that they might do. So this is the starting point but it certainly does open up the door for more to be changed. And it's showing that they are um, able to make changes to the school system. One thing I noticed out here in BC, you know, I keep, you know, refreshing to see is, you know, Premier, 
Premier Eby going to come out and say something? In the past, he's condemned parental rights protesters who've uh, been concerned about this issue in BC. Um, so silence. It's, it's pure silence. Also, um, Pierre Polyev is silent, too, last time I checked on it. So I think people are watching and looking and seeing how is this going to be received. I think there's overwhelming support for Albertans. And um, and let's not forget what happened in Saskatchewan and stuff. So this is this is an upper onto that. So I think this is good news and, and maybe critical race areas to come. Yeah, one can only hope and put the pressure on, right? This came from yeah. pressure um, of parents and the exposure of what this these ideologies really look like and how they're really being implemented uh, on the ground level in the school. Because here in Ontario, at least, and I gather as much happens also in, in British Columbia, is that this is really open to the interpretation of the teacher. So these curriculums mm. and these, these implementations are so ambiguously worded that they're open to the interpretation of whoever is going to be teaching them. And so mm. it, a lot really hinges on who you're going to get at any given year for, in terms of your teachers and your support staff. And mm. that is a really... Um, terrifying thought as well as as a parent um, with children who are in the you know conventional school system as well as in alternative schools um, is that there's no continue there's no continuum of education mm -hmm. where it's consistent reliable you know what to expect it's open to change every year depending on the kind of teacher that you have and this next super chat kind of relates uh, to that. It's a story from, from Calgary. JCMN84 gives $25. Thanks so much for that generosity. Okay. Went to Calgary Science Center last summer with our seven-year-old, young school-age kids running around, staff members wearing pride super capes, mm -hmm. and a whole exhibit on contraception, IUD, slash pills, slash condoms. <sighs> seven years old. Surprising. Yeah, it, it's it's not surprising at all. And that's why things need to be uh, zipped up a little bit with what is happening. What are the kids learning? Uh, we trust, we used to be able to drop our kids off. I have quite an age gap with my kids. I have an 11 year age gap with my kids. So I used to be able to drop off my kid and be like, okay, what did you learn? And they'd come home and it was academics. And now you just don't know. Um, so mm -hmm. it is so good to have that stipulation. And also, I was just reminded when you were just talking about um, in Edmonton, and I think it happened in Ontario too, where Muslim students were berated after students were like, I'm not going to class during all this pride nonsense. So it stops that mm -hmm. too. If a teacher decides to go rogue and start shaming kids who don't want to be part of sex activism at school, they're going to, I guess, have to have a talk with the parents first and get their consent before they bring it up. So um, this is just getting us back to, none of this was controversial, like what? I don't know, five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. So it's just getting back to the basics, really. And uh, science. <laughs> and Away science. from ideology and back to what we know is fact. Um, yeah. JCMN84 gives another 25. Thank you so much. So Thanks. social Thanks. messaging everywhere you go. Important to be aware and teach your kids. Sent Adam slash Sheila at Rebel an email with pictures. Thought you guys might have been interested. Okay, yeah, so that's perfect. something... It, I just want to precursor this with we receive thousands of, of <laughs> tips every day. And so if you send an email and you don't hear back, please send it again um, or just yeah. try to follow up. Um, 
because I know my emails are a mess and I repeatedly hear from many other rebels that the emails are just a mess. So sorry in advance, if we don't get back to you, it's not that we don't care. It's that- we're, Or that we're controlled opposition. So, Have you ever gotten that? Yes. You didn't add, you didn't uh, cover this. So you're controlled opposition. It's like, no, I just didn't receive it. <laughs> Yeah, or I didn't yeah. have time, or there's so much yeah. happening in the world. We're such a small yeah. shell of a staff that yeah. um, we there's no way we don't have the vast resources of the mainstream media. We cannot get to everything, and that was really hard for me to to realize. Yeah. Um, early on, I tried, I tried so hard to literally cover every little thing, and you know, burnout is yeah. real, especially in this industry. And there's just no way we're going to get to everything. And the news cycle these days just moves so incredibly fast that there it's impossible. Um, maybe if we had, you know, billions of dollars of taxpayer funded no. mainstream media resources, <laughs> sure, maybe yeah. we could, but, um, yeah, we are not infinite. Um, Conster11, sorry, 111 gives $5 and says, if Smith was sincere, she could remove it all by abolishing any programs initiated at the UN, WEF, and uh, WHO. The source of all of our suffering is the UN, the United Nations. It can all, it can all be removed with the stroke of a pen. Um, I don't think so, though, because Smith yeah. is, is provincial. And so mm -hmm. our uh, ties to those globalist entities are really on the federal level, from what I gather. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's something that she's looking into, though, because we've seen her do other legislative things that uphold the sovereignty of Alberta and their best interests in defiance of what the federal government would like them to do. So maybe there's something there that she can look into further to facilitate that. But as far as I know, that's more of a federal government thing, and then it kind of trickles down from there. But I, I could be wrong. Um, okay, so let's go to this this video of, of Minister Randy uh, Busano, who says, <laughs> Smith, I'm glad you uh, said that name. <laughs> yeah, and I hope I said it correctly. Um, <laughs> he, he calls Smith's announcement our NATO moment as an LGBTQ <sighs> community. Um, oh and, and he needs our allies and champions to stand up against it, of course. This isn't a question about parental rights. This is about keeping kids safe. This is a unilateral ideological move by Danielle Smith and the UCP government to marginalize kids, to other them, and to out not just trans and gender but non-binary kids, but all queer kids. You're gonna to go to a school as a young queer kid or a gender questioning kid and now have to look over your shoulder to wonder which of your other students are gonna out you so that they call your parents. Nobody calls you when you join the chess club. Nobody calls your parents when you join the basketball team. Nobody calls your parents when you join the debate team. But now, if somebody thinks you're questioning or queer, they're gonna tell the teacher and the teacher's gotta call the parents. That is not the Alberta I want or that we want. And so I can say this to all the youth, we're here with you. Uh, we are going to look at every option that we have. And this is our NATO moment as an LGBTQ2 community. An attack on one of our communities is an attack on us all. And I need allies and champions to stand up. Oh, we already have the Social Worker Association of Alberta, the Alberta Teachers Association, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, and EGAL, who's already mentioned that they will start a court challenge on board. There will be a rally at uh, the legislature in Edmonton on Sunday. I will be there. And if oh. there's ever been a time in this century for people to stand up for the kind of Canada and the kind of Alberta we want, it's today.
Well, hopefully we're going to be there too on Sunday. I hope. Um, yeah, that is, I, that's what I call extremism. You have this common sense policy that comes out. Not only does it get labeled exactly what it's not, he's saying it's not about parental rights, which it absolutely is. Parents want to be involved and should be involved in big changes, any changes in their child's life. But he's rallying out the troops, the allies, on this trumped up, hyped up lie that this is an attack against what is absolutely a more vulnerable community. So you are hurting these people. You're rallying these people up. And as we've covered many times, what does that usually result in? Often it results in violence for the, from, from their allies coming out. So that is very extreme. It's disgusting. Well, and there's so many false equivalencies being drawn in that, you know, oh, the school doesn't notify parents if their kids try out for basketball or chess. Um, the last time um, I checked, basketball and chess don't lead to suicidal <laughs> ideation. They don't lead oh to gosh. identity crises. They don't lead my kid down a road that is irreversibly damaging to their body, their their nervous system, their hormonal system, their endocrine system. That all of the systems of their bodies are quite literally affected by gender reassignment therapies mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. chess didn't do that to a, chess cannot do that to a child basketball cannot do that to a child uh this is a very clearly not at all this is apples to oranges and really disturbing to hear coming from you know a minister that's supposed to have some level of competency really well, and not only that, back to those studies that are the foundation, again, they chose families that were working well together. How are, is a family supposed to work well in this situation if the child is completely secluded in their new identity from the family? You are not even giving the parents an option of being there for their child to make their child the most successful while they go through this. Uh, you're saying that there might be the odd person and I will acknowledge that's not gonna take it easy, um, but that is not reason enough to block out all parents in this way. It's mm -hmm. And we've seen the stats that when, when one child becomes transgender, their friends are more likely to become transgender. So now you have groups of kids who are hiding their identities from the parents by way of adults at the state funded institution, the people funded institution run by the state. Yeah. And in response to this, of course, Ontario is not going to follow suit. No, no way. Uh, we have a clip here to share with you of Health Minister Sylvia Jones saying that they're not going to make any changes to gender affirming care, which is primarily government, i.e. taxpayer funded. Um, we heard yesterday that in uh, Alberta, uh, the provincial government there uh, plans to ban pediatric transgender surgeries for anyone under 17 and hormone treatment for anyone under 15. Um, can you uh, can you tell us if Ontario plans to follow this type of um, these type of measures? We're not making any changes as as it relates to gender affirming surgeries in the province of Ontario. Look, we are very focused on expanding access to service, expanding access to primary care um, in the province of Ontario, and that's what we will be focusing on. Mm -hmm. Of course. Well, that's exactly what Danielle Smith did. She expanded care. She's bringing in, I can't believe, like you said, they had to go to Quebec, so... Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Danielle Smith is this hateful bigot that this is such a, an attack on the trans 
trans community. <laughs> um, why is she bringing in a, a gender reassignment surgery expert to <laughs> give that care to people in the province of Alberta instead of shipping them off to Quebec to receive it? It just doesn't make any sense. Obviously, they didn't watch the video. Um, and if, if you have comment to say, just Sorry. go watch the video first and foremost and formulate your own opinion. Don't take these people's words that they know what they're talking about because, you know, obviously they don't. So maybe we'll just go to a quick ad break and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit for a brief another moment. Um, Trudeau's response when asked about Danielle Smith's new policy and then we'll move on. Hey, folks, guess what? I'm coming to Edmonton on Monday, February the 12th, and I can't wait to see our supporters in Wild Rose Country. The occasion is the Alberta premiere of our new documentary, Raid, Montreal's Police War Against Citizen Journalism. You simply will not believe how rebel news reporters were treated in Montreal at the height of COVID-19 madness back in 2021. Indeed, Quebec reinvented itself as a police state back then. And yes, we have the video evidence to prove it. You just won't believe your eyes. All of a sudden, all of the Montreal police were on us like we had done something. Come back with a warrant. Who are these rogue, dirty cops? Hey, you gotta stop lying. My hands. You gotta what? You gotta Go stop lying. Police. You Go wicked liar. So why not buy a ticket and say hello to well, yours truly, as well as the big boss man himself? That would be Ezra Levant, who will also be in attendance. Here are all the nitty gritty details. The date is Monday, February the 12th, and the venue is Edmonton's Church in the Vine. Doors open at 6 p.m., and showtime is 6.30. After the documentary airs, we will have an audience Q&A session featuring Ezra and myself. Check out the trailer and buy tickets at raid.movie. That's raid.movie. Indeed, what are you waiting for? Come on out and meet us and get a selfie with Canada's most notorious journalist. Plus, we'll tell you all about our upcoming projects and events. Like I said, you just won't believe your eyes when you see how the Montreal Police Service came after us for committing the egregious crime of practicing journalism. Indeed, what are you waiting for? As wrestling legend Billy Red Lines used to say, don't you dare miss it. When Montreal police accost our reporters, you know what they call us? Jew media. What? Who are you, sir? I'm with Rebel News. I'm not media Jewish. Smash my head on the police SUV. They started expanding the police perimeter as if we're like a COVID crime scene. They will taser you. They have already arrested one of our reporters. 
I am doing something today that I have never tried before. Listen up. I'm looking for collaborators in a new and exciting initiative. As you most likely know, YouTube a long time ago demonetized Rebel News and we are 100% viewer funded. Now, while our supporters are fantastic at helping us cover legal campaigns and special reporting missions, unfortunately, the reality is our day-to-day -day operational expenses often exceed our income stream. Which is crazy if you think about it because my videos across all platforms attract hundreds of thousands of views and sometimes even millions. So I wanna share that reach with the right partners. If you have a product or business and want to enter a win-win relationship with me, please go to rebelnews.com forward slash ads and fill in the form to let me know. I won't be accepting anyone. I need to believe in your business or product so I can sell it proudly for you. And for successful applicants, I will guarantee a minimum view count. Meaning, even if your ad is published on the less popular reports, we'll keep promoting your business or product until it gets the agreed minimum eyeball. So again, if you have a cool company or product that either wants to take advantage of my reach, All right, so now we get to trigger warning. We're about to see the prime minister <laughs> react to uh, Daniel Smith. Um, will you invite Daniel Smith to meet while she's in Ottawa next week and directly raise your concerns about her gender policy proposals? Canadian parents love their kids and we want the very best for them, and we want them to be kept safe. LGBT youth across this country are among the most vulnerable to homelessness, to suicide, to a range of things that can harm them. We need to be there to defend them, we need to be there to protect them, and I know Canadians across the country are doing just that. It is telling that the week after welcoming uh, far-right American conservative Tucker Carlson to her province to sit with him on stage, Danielle Smith has now moved forward with the most anti-LGBT policies of anywhere in the country. Canadians need to know that the federal government uh, and uh, all Canadians uh, will be there to protect youth. Um, that seemed like a really straightforward yes or no question. And <laughs> obviously Trudeau didn't even answer the question. Uh, instead he went on the, off on this rambling blunder about, he didn't even, uh, he just kept the acronym LGBT. I don't think he has the brain capacity to remember <laughs> anything more and it keeps changing. So it's super confusing for everybody. Can you blame and him? It, I can't do it. <laughs> He's probably equally as confused. You know, it's funny. Last night I was watching, uh, there was a, a video put out by CBC Kids. And yeah, CBC Kids, our state broadcaster, oh, puts gosh. out videos of CBC Kids for um, what does all, what do all of the letters stand for? And it's now it's like 2SLGBTQQ something, uh. something. It's, it's, a, it's a mess. Um, and then it's plus plus, I think, at the end. Anyway, it's a whole thing now. It's, there's like, 
12 different letters and numbers <laughs> in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's take our most vulnerable youth, if that's what you want to call uh, transgender children, which, you know, if you're Billboard Chris, you can't even get a def definition of what that means, like what are transgendered children. Okay. Um, if they're so vulnerable, then why are we putting a wedge between them and and, and yeah. the school? Them? Why are we why are we leading them down a path to have a wedge between their parents and not yeah. being kept in the loop on what is going on with their so vulnerable youth at school mm -hmm. where they spend, you know, almost half of their time? Um, that doesn't seem like it's a recipe for a cohesive approach to helping these vulnerable youth navigate whatever complexity they are going through. That seems mm -hmm. like it's going to to wedge, further divide them away from their family and this the subsequent supports that they can connect with through their families and exacerbate the issue. So if we want to talk about vulnerable children and youth, these school policies and these government policies that leave parents in the dark about the majority of what's going on with their children at school are mm -hmm. directly related to making them more vulnerable and more at risk when the parents aren't involved. Uh, so the double speak here is is quite astonishing, and um, I, I think yeah. again they haven't watched the video. They don't. They didn't. They didn't see it for themselves because it's nothing about any of hate or attack on the trans community. Mm -hmm. Well, not only that, it, for him to think that in a week they came up with all those policies is insane. So uh, either he didn't watch it or he just has a script and that's what he was supposed to say. Uh, again, calling out this connection between Tucker. I shared at <laughs> I'm having quite the day during this live stream. I have a new kitten and I don't know what he's doing over there. So sorry about that. He just, anyways. Um, so I just shared a picture just to kind of show, I can't speak for Premier Smith, but I can see that she has been looking into this. Uh, she said in question period yesterday that she has a non-binary child in her life, that she's been following, obviously, the situation that's going on here. But this is a picture from one of my Twitter friends, Eva, uh, I called her a friend and then I can't pronounce her last name, but Kurlova. And so she, and then you can see at Lois here, her friend here and James, they went and spoke in November to Premier Smith about these issues. Eva, for example, is a lesbian who stands for the protection of children in this area, because let's face it, a lot of gay people believe that if this pressure was happening to them in schools, they would be transitioned instead of just accepted as gay children. Um, and then Lois, if you go to her page, if you click on her name, which is hyperlinked there. I think she goes by uh, Lois, the Duchess of Alberta, but she is an Indigenous trans woman who has had so much pain, feels like they went into bottom surgery, were sort of coached into that too soon and has had so much pain from it. So of course, uh, Lois advocates for safety for children in this area. And uh, Lois actually tried to apply for MAID because of some of the complications with that. So this is an example of who... Premier Smith has been speaking to to as part of coming up with this plan. And then you have people like Trudeau not even acknowledging that if you rush or let kids make this decision, these can be some of the consequences and simply having some guidelines in place to ensure that they have more time for their frontal cortex to grow and be developed so they can think and reason their way through this. That is protecting vulnerable children. And the left would have you believe that everything Drea just said makes her a hateful bigot. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I was I pulled up CBC Kids, uh, so they break down every letter, 
And for anybody who isn't aware, and this was actually, I think about seven months ago that they published this CBC Kids video. I'm not sure if we can just show, yeah, there, if we can just pause that. It's 2SLGBTQQIPAA+, <laughs> just in case you didn't know. And Do these kids um, know their ABCs? CBC Kids here took the liberty to save us all from having to wonder what all of these letters stand for. And they break it down for all of the kids in their audience that they can know and not at all be confused about what <sighs> every single letter in that denomination means and number, actually, because there's a number there too, right? Um, mm -hmm. So there you have it. That's our state broadcaster, our government funded media and the, the work that they're hard, uh, hard at work to do. Um, okay, I think we've spent a lot of time on that. So we're going to move on now. And we're running out of time. It's already uh, almost just right. We have, you know, less than 10 minutes left. We'll try to get a few more topics shoveled in here. Um, we have a video from Conservative MP Michelle Ferrari. She's the shadow minister um, for families, children and social development. And she presented a petition in the House of Commons earlier this week, uh, the highest signed e-petition in Canadian history, I might add, uh, by that was brought forward by her constituent, Michelle, or sorry, Melissa Outwater. And it was calling for a vote of non-confidence for the Justin Trudeau Liberals. Um, so here, let's play this clip of her actually presenting it in the House of Commons. Presenting petitions, uh, the Honourable Member. For Peter, for Peterborough. Mr. Speaker, I rise today to present e-petition 4701, the highest signed e-petition in Canadian history with 387,487 signatures. The petitioners state that they have lost confidence in the Prime Minister. The petitioners ask the state and the current government is not acting in the best interest of all citizens. And the petitioners call upon the House of Commons to call for a vote of non-confidence in a federal election 45 days following the vote. Yeah. Wow. And we'll you know there's people... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, you know there's people watching that and going... What? I didn't even know there was a petition. I wish I signed. And still, uh, it's the largest petition. What does what does that say to the Liberals? Like, how do they not have their tail between their legs at that point? Exactly. Well, I saw another video. Um, I think I think either Michelle posted it or someone who was there during the this presentation of this petition that they actually reserve the petitions until the very end of the day. And so the majority of the politicians have already left the building by that point. Um, so that was unfortunate to learn. But also that until the collapse, until some sort of collapse happens between the Liberal NDP unofficial coalition, yeah. um, and unfortunately, they're just going to back, the NDP will just back whatever the Liberals want. And mm -hmm. so a vote of non-confidence is unfortunately unlikely to proceed unless the NDP grow a backbone and actually listen to the Canadians who obviously want this to happen. So um it seems like it's a little bit for show, but it's also showing Canadians that, you know, they're not alone. Maybe if they felt this way or they wanted similarly a vote of non-confidence, it shows them that, hey, there is a, a, a tool in place, whether it's useful really or not, um, to, to exercise your democratic voice and to let it just be known on the record. Hey, this mm -hmm. is how many Canadians are so displeased with you that they'd like you to call an election. 
Um, yeah, and I think, I think, yeah, you're right. That number probably represents a fraction of who uh, would get on board with something like this. Well, I think that's what's powerful about petitions. Some people say like, oh, what is it going to do? It's not going to do the end result. But what's powerful is it is a gauge on the silent majority. There are so many people who don't want to speak out. They're scared of getting fired, whatever, scared what their parents will think, but they will sign a petition. And that sends a message to politicians about the votes. And that's where the power is. It can change the perception and the reality or false reality that people who are the lawmakers think is happening based on all the propaganda they see around them. And Bud Light would be an example. You think it's a good marketing move. It's like, no, it's not. So a petition is that gauge. I think they're very powerful. And that that's going to be speaking to the party. I think it would cause some division for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, and in 45 days, that was just presented, uh, I believe, on January 31st. So as uh, Ferrari mentioned, of 45 days to respond and We'll see what happens. Um, moving along, we have our federal minister of health, Mark Holland. What what a gem. He has announced a three-year extension for MAID, that's Medical Assistance in Dying, otherwise known as um, government-sanctioned euthanasia. Um, he The, the three-year extension for MAID uh, in cases where mental illness is the sole underlying cause. So they're putting a temporary um, pause on this. Um, and they cite system unpreparedness, apparently. But we have a, a clip here of him saying that. Good morning. I uh, just had an opportunity to uh, table legislation with respect to uh, mental uh, to uh, medical assistance in dying, uh, where mental illness is sole underlying cause, uh, with a three-year extension. Uh, it will uh, allow, in two years, uh, for there to be a parliamentary review to assess the state of readiness of the system at this time. Uh, I can say that I have uh, communicated with all of my uh, uh, provincial uh, counterparts. I haven't had an opportunity with my territorial counterparts on this, uh, but, uh, but their response uh, was, was very favorable, as I think you'll hear. Uh, they uh, really do feel that they need more time uh, to be able to look at this. I will state again that the, the question at, at issue here is uh, a question of readiness. Uh, we accept uh, equivalency in the suffering of, uh, of mental uh, suffering and uh, physical suffering. And of course here we're talking about mental illness. Uh, it shouldn't be completed with, um, with uh, mental health concerns. It's so ghoulish what they're trying to do. Yeah, he... <laughs> what do you mean the mental illness should not be completed with mental health concerns? I, I don't understand that as a mental health professional, what he means by that. But... This is just evil. I'm going to call it for what it is. This is just pure evil. And I'm so thankful for the delay. It's an answer to prayer. So I am so thankful in whatever shape or form it's coming. It's very concerning. It gives the people uh, time to push against it. Um, but you can see they're doubling down. Like this isn't about whether or not we should or should not do it. It's just, we're not ready to start killing people. And, uh, you know, basically you do eugenics on who's feeling suicidal at the time, which is so many people for so many reasons. So many people who feel it for two weeks, two months, and don't feel it ever again sometimes in their life, especially when they have the right medical professionals in their team and the right support system. And that's where the energy should be going into from a government. This is this is an attack on the people. Yeah. And this was originally this stipulation where mental illness is the only condition needed mm -hmm. to, um, to, to get on the list and, and be applicable for MAID. Again, government 
sanctioned euthanasia, um, was supposed to roll out in the next couple of months. It was supposed to be ready by early 2022, so this year. Mm -hmm. um, and because of the pushback, and I think especially because medical professionals pushed mm -hmm. back and said, whoa, 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 like what, there yeah. is no clear guidelines on this. What's the policy yeah. around this? What are the stipulations? Um, which seems to be right, as I've kind of mentioned already throughout this stream, the liberal way, just throw out some sort of ambiguously worded thing and hope that somewhere along the wall it sticks. And mm -hmm. so I think it was the collaborative efforts by Canadians who are concerned, but also medical professionals who said, we're not ready to start doing this. This is going, this is going to be a mess. And um, that shows you that when people push back in that capacity, that works. And um, so, so they're listening to some extent, it seems, and will at least be so, so they're saying pausing this policy. I think there'll be a change of government before anything like this uh, moves yeah. forward, which may have Hopefully. been intentional. So um, yeah, it's good news uh, for the Canadians who would otherwise be seeking this kind of care. And if anybody wants to learn anything more about this, Sheila's really um, taken on the breadth of this kind of reporting. We have a documentary uh, currently ongoing, they're filming um, called Made, so Medical Assistance in Dying, The Dark Side of Canadian Compassion, right? Because this is all being done under the guise of compassion and care. Same with the trans stuff. This is all done under the guise of compassionate care. And mm -hmm. um, so I can't remember, I think it's just madedocumentary.com is the URL that we're using. But anyway, if you just go to our site, um, you can find out more there about it. And if you want to support it, and of course, be kept in the loop as it develops, um, you can do that at the website there. And I, I just want to point out one oh. important thing about, um, you know, sharing that trailer around with other people is that I know a lot of medical professionals who don't even know and mental health professionals that don't even know that this is on the table. They still don't know it. Mm -hmm. um, and they're shocked when they find out, like when I tell them, they're like, what? Like, so please share the trailer as well. Um, so other people who want to get involved and, and fight against this can. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, and we're um, up against the clock again here, but another thing that I want to mention here about compassionate care is also the idea of harm reduction and safe supply. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll just maybe touch on, you know, one or two of these, maybe we'll show this clip actually of Melissa Lanceman, um, where the Minister of Mental Health and Addiction was uh, silent when pressed about, that's Yara Sachs here in Ontario, um, was pressed about this idea or this policy rather of giving fentanyl to minors, children. Mm -hmm. And and this is happening in, in British Columbia yeah, primarily, but without their parents' knowledge or consent. Um, so we'll just throw to this quick clip. We'll, we'll talk about it for a minute and then we'll wrap this up, I think. The Canada.ca website says very clearly, a few grains can kill you. Is that appropriate? So, Mr. Chair, my colleague did table ask this question before, and I believe we've already tabled all the proofs on safer supply, and I'll be happy to table them again for further reference. It's not the question, Minister. My question is, is do you think you should be giving an incredibly potent synthetic opioid, of which a few grains can kill you, to children? Yes or no? Simple. Each physician works with their patient on the treatment protocols that work best for them. That is a mm very unique and important relationship that thank you very much uh, minister have. the canada.ca website says very <laughs> yeah um again yes or no question just not able to answer yes or no 
Um, meanwhile, happening in your province, British Columbia, Drea, the they call her the top doctor, I think, Bonnie Henry, right? And I don't even yes. think she's ever seen a patient in her life. Um, but anyway, we'll go with it. Uh, she has seen doctor. patients, but not for a oh, while. She has. Okay, good, because a lot of these medical officers of health in in certain contexts. She was a military doctor, right? So uh, she would have saw patients okay. there. Um, she backs a safer, right? It's supposed to be not safe, but safer supply program, despite concerns about diversion. Um, do you want it? Do you want to speak on this? I know there's a little clip here from Bonnie, but I think it's it's pretty long. Well, yeah, I mean, it was called safe. And then now they're saying safer because it's not so safe. But um, I just have some stats here. I mean, you can have the article up there, but I just have some stats um, from the BC Emergency Health Services. And for example, in June 21st, and this is, of course, after the rollout of the safer too, right? We had 221 overdoses in a single day to be called. And so you have our top doctor supporting these, I would call them experimental um, things that we've never done and allowing it with children. And not only that, she knows that the safe supply is ending up in kids' hands. That's what that article is saying, that it's being diverted. It's being sold. That's what's happening. And just a mention of Aaron Gunn, who did a documentary called Vancouver is Dying, and he's actually running for... Um, a bid in the conservative party now uh he pointed that out a long time ago and now you have even the uh legacy media talking about it and she knows this and she's still backing it in a province where the number one killer of the 10 year olds and up is drug overdoses so again mm -hmm. this is sick this is evil i'll just call it for what it is yeah i did a deep dive into this strategy the canadian drug use strategy that was implemented in 2017 on the federal level that followed the 2016 declaration by the province of British Columbia of uh, state of emergency due to the overdose crisis. And um, I think that if we just show that article on screen there, so they dedicated um, $1 billion to this federal program uh, since 2017. And it has been unable to ascertain any sort of tangible outcome or benefit mm -hmm. or uh, any decrease in either drug use, illicit drug use, and or overdose or overdose deaths. Um, and and since, uh, since that time, the data on opioid and stimulant-related harms show that opioid toxicity deaths in Canada reported so far, this was in 2023, were 5% higher compared to the same period in 2022. And mm. um, that was in... So, sorry, I'm just getting lost here in my own words. Um, and the vast majority of those opioid deaths occurred in your province, in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And again, as I mentioned, they implemented that state of emergency in 2016. And um, since that time, since they instituted the state of emergency to apparently offer harm reduction and safer supply, illicit drug deaths have nearly tripled. There were mm -hmm. 994 opioid-related deaths in 2016 versus 2,293 in 2022. So what do the governments do about all of this? The mm -hmm. clear indication that their policies are failing and not okay, actually yeah. reducing any harm or offering any sort of safer supply, mm -hmm. they're going to increase their funding. Um, yeah. So the feds have thrown additional funding through the Canadian drug drug strategy, and they're they're 
they're buckling down. They're they're going to continue to just throw money at a program that's obviously not, mm-hmm. not helping anybody. And there's so many that are dying and being brought back to life by Narcan, which is great. But just imagine how many uh, resources we have limited ambulances. So the paramedics are coming out and doing that. Uh, Vancouver alone, not West Vancouver, not North Vancouver, just Vancouver had over 10,000 overdoses last year. Um, it's completely out of control. I think overdoses have gone up 34% in 2023, something crazy like that. So uh, these policies are not helping. They are hurting. They are harmful. And um, there is pushback against it. Both the um, the BC United is pushing back. And of course, the Conservative Party of British Columbia are both really pushing back on these policies and saying like enough is enough. So we'll see. Yeah. And the more I've di- I've started to look into this and dig into it, it, it sounds like Narcan is no longer strong enough because the these chemical, these synthetic drugs keep getting stronger and more potent and stronger yeah. and more potent. And Narcan no longer has the capability to counteract the effects of these increasingly potent drugs. Synthetic, yeah, it's getting less effective. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. and um, you know, all of this kind of to to wrap up the live stream. And something I I also keep going back to in some of these reports, whether it be on the COVID narrative, the um, the injections, the trans madness, um, the MAID program, this idea of harm reduction and safe supply. Do you know who benefits the most out of all of off of all of this out of all of this? It's big pharma. All roads lead back to big pharma. They are benefiting the harm reduction, safer supply on both sides of the coin. They're doing the Narcan and they get to manufacture the the drugs, uh, the synthetic ones that are meant to be safer. And um, the trans, the surgeries, they're profiting through the medications and also the continued medications that are needed post-surgery and post hormone treatment and these sorts of lifetime things. patients are benefiting yeah these it's exactly it it's not about creating cures it's about creating customers and so mm-hmm. all of these things really tie in together when you look at who's profiting at the end of the day and it is big pharma it's consultancy firms it's by by way of connection uh some of these government officials and so um that, that's something to keep in mind moving forward is who's truly benefiting yeah. from what is being implemented here is it you the canadians because the more you look at it it's not yeah absolutely okay. on that depressing and- note you should be informed so you know important. be skeptical yeah. be aware uh, get informed, look at who some of the players are and and just think about that. You know, who profits from this? Who's benefiting from all of this? Because it doesn't seem like it's me, uh, the little guy. But And uh, send us your tips. Even if you don't hear back, we're sorry in advance, but uh, we receive a lot of them every day. Yes. And with that, we're 10 minutes over. Thank you so much, Drea. It's always a pleasure to uh, yeah. to be live with you and discuss some of this stuff. I think that we have have good conversation around it, similar views, and um, it's always a good time to be on the live stream, but also joined by you. Thanks to everybody at home who sent us uh, Rumble Rants or Super Chats, whatever they're called these days, and for supporting our work and our efforts on, on the ground. You know, obviously, none of this would be possible without our viewers and the generosity of you at home. So thank you for that. Thanks to everybody in the back background here, super producers, Olivia and Efron, our web team that gets all of the links ready for us and the verbiage up on the website and on various social media platforms, post this stuff. 
we're the kind of the face here, but there is a whole team behind us working diligently as well to make sure that this gets out to you, the viewer. Um, with that, have a great weekend and we will see you next Friday, same place and time. The, the, the decision to pause the MAID expansion uh, yesterday, the CEO of CMHA, Waterloo Wellington, told us uh, that there is not equal access to mental health care here. Over 3,400 people are waiting for care in our area, and they need a fair shot at this treatment before making a decision on MAID. Uh, so just wondering what your thoughts on those comments are. I agree with those comments entirely. We need to make sure we're delivering better quality mental health care across this country uh, for people who are uh, facing very, very real challenges. We've seen an increase uh, in the challenges faced by Canadians around mental health, and that's why we're going to continue to be there. We just announced $200 billion uh, for the provinces uh, over the next 10 years on health care with a focus on three areas a focus on uh, more primary care practitioners, a focus on better support for healthcare workers across the country, and a significant focus on better mental health care across the country. And we're making sure that provinces actually deliver on those things and deliver results for Canadians with a level of accountability and data shared with Canadians that's going to transform the results uh, for, for, uh, for, for Canadians and communities across the country. So we will continue to be there to step up uh, for Canadians, particularly around mental health, because we know how important it is.